Good evening. Uh, we're going to be continuing to uh, sort of explore the different, uh, I would call them spiritual mountains, mountains that significant spiritual events took place in Scripture, and, and just sort of reflect on what not only happened in the text, but what, what happened in the text means for us as we reflect on it. And so I'm in 1 Kings chapter 18, and, and actually what I'm going to do is it's, we call it expository preaching, but I'm just going to kind of walk through the text and point out some things that we can sort of reflect on and, and know to be true as we, we see it in ourselves. And I, I just have to confess, so in verse 20 in chapter 18, it says that Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So Mount Carmel is the mountain that we find ourselves on. And I remember when I was younger, every time I heard the word Mount Carmel, maybe it was informed by Candyland, I didn't picture what happened in this text. I pictured delicious caramel on a mountain. And uh, they're not making caramel on this mountain, not at all. And, uh, and in fact, what you see is, is something um, pretty violent in some ways uh, as, you know, as the story unfolds. So Elisha, Elijah is coming to all the people, and he asks just a very simple question. And their response to this question is very telling. He says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if it is Baal, then follow him. And it says the people did not answer him a word. Silence. Now, (laughs) this really speaks to kind of the heart of the people of God at this moment. Like when the prophet of God, the one who speaks on behalf of God, is calling them to choose who they're going to follow, um, they choose not to answer. And, and maybe it's because they're afraid they might be wrong. What if Baal is real? What if Yahweh doesn't show up? And so instead of making a decision, they are silent. But no decision is kind of a decision, isn't it? It shows lack of faith. It shows lack of trust. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, again, this, this text gave me lots of flashbacks to parts of my childhood. I don't know why, but it's like when you get in trouble with your mom and you know when she asks you, did you do X? And you know the answer is yes, I did. Or you don't want to really choose to, you know, admit something. And so you sit in silence and you kind of know what the right answer is, but you're not quite ready to commit to it yet because no matter what you choose, there is a consequence right? What you align yourself with, what you choose to follow, there, it, it changes your perception, your perspective, and what you believe. It reminds me of the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 12 when he says, uh, he who is not with me is against me. So what is God's people really looking for in this? Are they with Yahweh or are they against him? Are we as followers of Christ, are we with him or are we against him? When we do, we find ourselves in a similar position a lot of times, right? Sort of standing between two choices, two different uh, ideas or thoughts or, or opinions or gods. And we, and we do, we make choices all the time. And sometimes we choose to remain silent and then sometimes we struggle with the decision that we have to make because we have one very clear sort of 
thought in, in one camp and one sort of clear thought in the other, and we, we have to decide what is more faithful, what is true, what is right, and where is Jesus calling. But there's a lot of things that influence that and inform that. But it happens a lot of times in a lot of places. It happens in our politics. Either you're one or you're the other. It happens in our thoughts on human sexuality. Either you're okay with this or you're totally against it. It happens in our understanding of grace sometimes and forgiveness and who should be forgiven and who's not worthy of forgiveness. I mean, we find ourselves not only in churches, but in culture, constantly being bombarded with opinions and being asked to take a side. And what is the most faithful thing? And it's hard. There's a lot of voices. And I think when you reflect on your own life, maybe we're not as far off from the Israelites in a lot of ways. There are a lot of, quote, gods in our life. And when I think about this, I think one of the reasons that maybe they didn't want to answer is sort of their own ego, (laughs) the fear of what it would mean, the fear of what it would mean to be right and what that means to follow Yahweh or Baal and what it would mean to be wrong and what it would look like to everyone else around you if you weren't choosing the right side. And we find ourselves in similar positions. I mean, look, as we continue the text, he, he's, Elijah is speaking. And if you notice, he says, I, even I, only am left of the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. And so there's 450 men there worshiping Baal and saying, Baal is God. And how many prophets of God are there? Just one. And so you can imagine everyone sort of watching this spectacle. (laughs) Again, there's that sort of social pressure, right? If 450 people are saying this must be the right thing, then maybe it's the right thing. But if just one person over here is saying this is the way to go, it takes a little bit more faith, doesn't it? And you see this sort of increasing a lot in, in, in our context as well. Like, you know, we live in a democracy, but majority isn't always right. The majority isn't always faithful. Sometimes it's the the one off to the side who actually is proclaiming the truth, and that person is hard to hear and hard to trust and hard to follow. And this is what Jesus found himself also struggling with. I mean, he was the one, the true prophet, and he was speaking to people and calling them to follow and, and, and people struggled to hear what he was saying and follow him because uh, the teachers of the law and the Sanhedrin and everyone else was saying, no, this is not how it works. This is the way. And this is why Jesus said, likely, that the way to eternal life, salvation through him is narrow, but wide is the path of destruction. It's The path to destruction is 450 people wide, but the way to salvation is one person narrow, right? And so here's Elijah squaring off with the prophets of Baal, 
And he lets them choose one of the bulls. And, and this is a very gritty, earthy kind of system. It's a sacrificial system. And so the prophets of Baal sacrifice the bull. And they're supposed to, uh, the, the, their God is supposed to set fire to it and consume it as his sacrifice. And so the prophets begin, you know, moaning and, and singing and whatever they do to sort of call upon their God. And they're 450 people strong and they're 450 people loud and, and nothing happens. And so Elijah takes this opportunity, and I love this, to sort of ask some questions about their God as they're crying out loud and no one answers Elijah mocks them, says in verse 27. And he, and he says, cry aloud, for he is a God. He said either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Yeah, I love the commentaries on this because, you know, we, again, it's a very earthy text, but almost everything I read likes to skip the phrase, and he was relieving himself. <laughs> Your God's too busy in the outhouse to hear you right now. He's gone to the bathroom and locked the door, right? He doesn't want to hear you. He's going on his own journey. He's asleep. And as Elijah mocks them, they, they become sort of more eager to get Baal to respond and so what do they do? They start, it says in the text, they start cutting themselves. They start, you know, making themselves bleed, almost sacrificing themselves to try to get their God to respond. And, and I, just, I just have to point out how different our God works compared to how they feel their God works. I mean, God's actually not asking us to cut ourselves and sacrifice ourselves to get his attention. He's willing to sacrifice his own son instead. He's not calling on you to scream louder and, and, and shed your own blood. It's not a violent thing. He's, he's wanting you to have faith in his son who he offered freely for us. We have a God who's a, a God of life, a, a God of creation, a God of love and mercy. And Baal is a God of violence and a God of death. And so the people are watching this happen, and nothing happens. And so Elijah then comes up to the altar, and, and, and you know, he, he prepares the bull, and then he, he kind of one-ups the, he annies up on all this. He has water, so much water poured over this altar. And if you've ever tried to light wet wood, you know it doesn't go very well. And then he, he does this thing calls all the people. He says, come near to me. And he stacks 12 stones there on that altar. And this 12 stones is symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. And you see this in different stories in the Old Testament where they sort of set the stones up as a memory of what took place there, the significant spiritual event where it took place. And then he says after he stacked those 12 stones to number the tribes, he said, 
Israel shall be your name. (laughs) And this is a quote. And this is a quote from another significant mountain event. It's from when Jacob wrestled with God. And as he was wrestling with God until daybreak, God finally sort of dislocated his hip and, and he gave him a new name, a new identity in that fight. And what you see here in this story are the people of Israel, their namesake, wrestling with God and with each other. Who is God? Is he going to show up? What if he doesn't? Do we have faith? Can we believe he's going to do what he says he's going to do? Should we follow the crowd? Should we follow the lone person? They're wrestling. And Elijah calls us into that story and we remember what happened when Jacob wrestled. He learned who he was. He learned who calls him. And so he does all this and then he begins to to pray to God. He invites them to come near and he says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know you, O Lord, our God, and that you have turned their hearts back. What Elijah doesn't do He doesn't get up there and have the bull sacrificed and pour water all over the altar and then say, watch this, guys. And he prays to God and it sets on fire and he he makes it about himself. (laughs) You know, this is the temptation, right? It's the temptation even in our church. Like, if, if a guy can stand up and call on God and God can set the place on fire, if, if a pastor can bring in thousands of people and, and, and move them to some sort of action in the community, people sometimes take their attention off of what God is doing and turn their attention to the man and they begin to praise the man. But Elijah is saying, I'm only doing what God told me to do. It's not me. It's the word of God. He is the one doing it. He wanted everyone there to know that it is not him. It is God who is going to turn their hearts and make them know who he is. And it happens. The flames start and the people change. And when they see it, they all fall on their faces and they proclaim, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This is their confession of faith, what they know to be true. And here's the thing. Here's the difference between Baal and Yahweh. It's time and time again Yahweh doesn't always show up by setting things on fire and by doing the big spectacle. But Yahweh, all the way back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve ate from that tree, said, here is what I'm going to do to redeem you, what I'm going to do to set things right. 
He, he had a plan, and he moved forward with it, using his creation and his people to get there. And time and time again, sometimes with the big bang, sometimes with the gentle whisper, he fulfilled his promise over and over and over again. There was never a moment when anyone could go to the Lord and it was completely silent. He was always working. And he is always working. He came like he said he was through Jesus. He died on the cross like he said he would to redeem us. And he gave us the Holy Spirit so that our hearts too could be turned back to him over and over and over again as we trust that he is present now and will always be present among us. Whereas if we worship Baal or whatever God, there will be no response. There will be disappointment and it won't bring the fulfillment you so hope it might bring. And so, which opinion do we follow? Do we have faith and trust in the one that always delivers? Or do we live out of fear and put our trust in things that may seem to deliver? God loves you, and he has given you a name just like he gave his people a name. You are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, co-heirs with Christ and all of his creation. Everything he has is yours because he loves you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.